0: Hey, good morning, church. Uh, there's, there's more of you out there than that. Good morning, church. There you are. Good to see you guys. Hey, if you're uh, joining us online or those of you up at uh, True Worth or over in the sanctuary and all of you here, thank you guys uh, for being here. I, I trust by now we are all in the Christmas spirit, right? Are we getting there? I mean, I know some of you, you just can't, you just can't bear the sight of a Christmas tree until it's December. But, I mean, we're halfway there, so we're all there, right? I mean, I've been here since, since Labor Day, so those of you, those of you that are later arrivals, welcome to the party. And Before I forget, I want to make sure you know this. Next weekend, we're not having our normal weekend schedule, so we won't have a Saturday night service, and we won't have the services this, uh, on Sunday morning like we normally have, but we will have next Sunday, 9.30 and 11.30, both in this space. We'll have our family Christmas service. If you haven't been yet, you need to come. It's a lot of fun. The kids' uh, ministry puts uh, this on, and they turn the whole crossing into a big stable with uh, live animals and whatnot. It's tons of fun. Even if you don't have kids, come check it out, because it's fun just to be around kids during the holidays. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I, I do, I do love this time of year. I don't think it's any secret. I'm, I'm a Christmas guy year round. Uh, I was visiting with my son recently, and he was he was trying to explain to me why he loves this time of year. And he's 12, and so he's he's old enough to really start to appreciate some of the uh, other things at Christmas other than the presents. and And he was saying, well, you know, you just there's there's something about this season that you know, you know it's Christmas time even without having to look at a calendar. You can tell just by The music and the lights and the people, everybody just, they they all seem to be in this holiday spirit. And I was thinking about it. He's, He's right. He's right. But it got me thinking about when I was a kid, what was Christmas like for me when I was a kid? And so all of these memories started to flood back from my childhood. And there was a number of things that we would do every year. One of the things that we would do on Christmas Eve was we always went to Christmas Eve Mass so I grew up in an Episcopalian household, and so Christmas Eve, at night, either 7 or 8 o'clock, we'd go to Mass. And then after Mass, we'd go back home, and as soon as we'd get home, I would go to this chair that was sitting right next to the Christmas tree. And that's where I would, I would just wait. I, I actually, I still have that chair. This is back in 1986, when we, had this, when we had this chair, and then when I was going off to college, my parents were going to get rid of that chair. I was like, you can't get rid of that chair. I'll take it. So I took it with me, went went with me to college. I was a bachelor. It went with me into the bachelor pad. I got married. It did not go into the home. (laughs) It's up in my office right now. That's the only place it's allowed to exist. But I have a lot of fond memories of that chair. I sit down in the chair, and I would be right next to the tree. Because I knew something cool was about to happen under the tree, and I didn't want to miss it. But I would miss it. I mean, despite my best efforts, I'd fall asleep in the chair, wake up the next morning, and I'd magically teleported into my bedroom, and I wake up and I run to the tree, and Santa had come and gone, and I missed it again. But as I'm reflecting on on these memories, what I really understood was that what made the season magical—like this—it sounds trite, but it's very true. It it wasn't the presence. Even as a six-year-old, it wasn't the presence. I mean, that was a part of it, but. But really thinking about, you know, going to Christmas Eve Mass and hearing that story of Jesus, that as I'm, I'm going, I'm rushing to the Christmas tree, as that excitement is building, the story of Jesus is just reverberating in, in my mind and all of these stories of, of, of God sending Jesus to come live, live among us to be a baby. And we get to celebrate that every year by giving of ourselves to each other. And that the biggest gift giver of them all, Santa Claus, he gives of himself asking for nothing in return. And so all of these stories, all of these images, they just sort of collided with each other in my six-year-old imagination, and it made the season magical. I loved it. But what happened? Well, like like many of you, I, I grew up. I stopped noticing. I stopped looking for the magic. I got a job. I got a, I got a mortgage. I got bills. And what once was a magical time of year gradually became something that, man, I just, I just wanted to survive. That's all. Can any of you relate? I want you to hear the good news, though. Just because we stop noticing, it doesn't stop God from doing what God does. God's magic is still in the air. If we're going to get Christmas right this year, if we're going to recapture the magic of the season, look for what God is doing. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that that all we have to do is pause and we remember that we are in your presence, that, that you've been here waiting for us for this moment. And so, Father, we... We pray that, that we can submit to you, to your will, in, in this time together, that, that we seek your guidance and that, and that you have your way through each one of us today. In your son's name, amen. I want to hand out some Bibles. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. And when you get it, I want you to open up to Matthew chapter 25. And once you get there, just hold your place, and we're going we're to come to it here in just a moment. But once you get there, I want you to turn to your sermon notes, and there's a blank there at the top of your sermon notes. There's a, a question that I want you to write down that I want you to wrestle with today. If, if we're going to get Christmas right this year, if we're going to recapture the magic of the season, we need to try to answer this question. And here's the question. What is God up to today? You see, every every year we celebrate Christmas. We open up the Word, and we read the stories, and we reflect, and we celebrate what God did 2,000 years ago. And that's an important thing to do. We need to do that. But there's something else that we need to do. As we look and reflect on what God did 2,000 years ago, we need to remember God's not finished yet. God's still doing stuff. Now a couple of quick comments about Matthew's gospel in general before we dive in. Matthew's focus is really on, he he works to show two types of people. There's the the powerful, the wealthy, and then there's the people that Jesus hangs out with. And what Matthew is trying to do is he's, he's trying to show us how Jesus works to refocus our attention, our hearts, onto the people who need it the most. from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did, when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? When did we see, see you naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it for one of the, the least of these my brothers, you did it for me. So this passage, it teaches us a lot about the heart of God. And there's, there's a whole lot happening here. But the first thing that I want to point out is this. If, if we want to start to try to answer that question, what is God up to today? Number one, follow the movement of God. Now, this is such an important concept. We all know that God is everywhere all the time, right? God is omnipresent. But one thing God is not, God is not static. God is everywhere, but God is moving somewhere. God is taking creation somewhere. God's taking the church somewhere. God's taking each one of us somewhere. So yeah, do, do I have to go to church every week to be a Christian? Well, technically, no. No, you don't. But if you want to follow the movement of God, if you want to be a follower of Christ, yeah, you probably should. I want you to think for a moment about your baptism. If you've been baptized or if you're considering baptism. For, for many, baptism is viewed as the finish line in the faith journey, the place that we want to get people to, that, that point of acceptance. Now, that's, it's an important place. Don't get me wrong. That's very important in your faith journey, but it's not the finish line. It's the starting point. It's it's the point where we begin our journey. And now in the early church, they had this practice for baptism. What they would do is they would take new believers and they would take them to streams of, of moving water, of running water. And I think that's a great way to think about baptism because what do streams of running water do? They move. Where do they move to? Well, they move to rivers. Where do rivers move to? And move to the sea. You see, when, when we receive our baptism, it's a statement that we make that we're not saying we, we step in for just a moment of baptism, get the, get the water, and then we step back out and say, okay, I got what I came for. I'm good. God, I'm just gonna i to hang back on the on dry land and just observe from a distance what you're doing. God, you're doing great. I'm I'm a fan of what you're doing. Keep up the good work. That's not what that means. What it means is it's a statement that you make you step into your baptismal stream and you say, okay, God, I'm all in. I I don't know. I don't know where this stream is going to take me. But I'm trusting that you're going to guide me every step of the way. Each one of us, we each have our own baptismal stream. And when we stay with it long enough, all of our streams, they start to move together as we as we follow the movement of God, God takes us to a place far bigger than each one of us by ourselves. I remember very clearly my baptism. It was right there. August 25th, 2003. It was a day before my 23rd birthday. And I remember the statement that I was making on that day. It was a statement where I turned to God and I said, okay, I give up. I've been been at this thing called life long enough on my own. I've screwed up enough on my own. I'm done. I'm done doing it that way. I'm ready to try out your way. And it hadn't been a smooth journey from then to now. I've I've screwed up a number of times since that point. But every time I find myself on, on dry land, what do I do? I jump back in. I screw up, I jump back in. I mess up, I jump back in. And because I kept doing that, because I kept jumping back in, God took me back to this place in 2008 when my wife and my son were baptized. And then again in 2012 when my daughter was. Because I stayed with the movement of God, he took me to a place far bigger than myself. I wonder how different would my life be today if on August 25th of 2003 I stepped in, got my baptism and then I stepped back out for many of us in this room right now and in the sanctuary and in church, how different would our lives be if in May of 1971 when Rick Owen stepped into his baptismal stream received it and then stepped back out and then said okay God you got it from here How different would our lives be? Now, if you've been following God long enough, you'll know it's not an easy thing to do. It's going to take you to places that you'd you'd, you'd probably rather not go, places of discomfort. It's going to take you down streets that maybe you'd rather not go down. It's going to take you into conversations that maybe you'd rather not have. And for for some of us, can I just say, sometimes following the movement of God sometimes has less to do about where God is taking us and more to do with what God is taking us from. Places that we need to let go of, that we're not quite ready. But this is why this is so important. Because if... If the church is not willing to follow God to those places of discomfort, those uncomfortable places, those places in the margins, the places that so many don't want to go, the, the places that people have forgotten about, if the church isn't willing to follow God to those places, who will? Where, where did the movement of God take the sheep? There in, in verse 35 and 36, it took them to the hungry, to the poor, to the outcast, the homeless, the disease, the prisoners. You see, as you follow the movement of God, you start to get an idea to the answer to the question, what is God up to today? As you do this, number two, look for the need. You see, the movement of God will always take you to a place of need. The question is, are you aware of it? Do you know it? Sometimes the problem we face in the church is not a lack of willingness, it's a lack of awareness, an awareness of what the need is. Do you realize right now you are surrounded by need? Do you know that you right now are in the presence of somebody who is grieving mightily? Do you know that right now you're surrounded by somebody who doesn't know how they're going to survive this holiday season do you know right now you're surrounded by somebody who doesn't know where to turn who's lost who's alone have you seen them have you seen them yet today so there's this place that i go to at least once a week sometimes more if my schedule will allow and it's it's this, this time for me to just, just be alone, but to be outside. I know we, we all have our happy places. Some of you are beach people. Like, if you're on the beach, you're happy. And some of you are mountain people. If you're in the mountains, man, that's your happy place. For me, my happy place is in the woods. If I could just get away from the concrete, get away from the pavement, and just be surrounded by trees, I'm in my happy place. And so I have this place that I can go to. I can get there fairly quickly. And I spend at least 30 minutes there once a week. And it's a time for me to reflect, to read, and, and to just be still. And sometimes the passage of Scripture I read, sometimes it's only a verse. There have been days where it's not even a full verse. I just read until something gets a hold of me. And when it does, I stay with it. I write it down, and then I get up and I walk around through the, through the woods. And I'll just repeat that phrase in my mind just to keep my thoughts focused. Side note, if, if you don't have some sort of a practice like this in your life, I, I can't encourage you to do this enough if, if you're already in the Word every day, if you're already doing that discipline 15 minutes a day, every day in the Word at the beginning of the day, if you're already doing that, the next thing I would encourage you to do is schedule a 30-minute weekly sabbatical, a 30-minute time for you to get away, to get out of your home, to get out of your office, your place of work, away from your conversations, and just be still and listen. So one day, one, one morning, I'm on, I'm on one of my prayer walks, and I, I come across... This tree. I'm in the middle of the woods, where all the trees are are going dormant for the winter. There's this tree. Still vibrant, still full of color. And I found myself just being drawn to it, so I go to it. I pull out my phone to take a picture, and then I put everything away, and I just sit down. And the presence of God is very strong in this moment, that I'm just... I'm in silence. and I'm just, I'm just sitting there listening. And very quickly, my mind goes to the passage in Exodus 3. When Moses is out in the wilderness tending to the flock. And he comes upon this bush that's burning. And so Moses goes to it. And, and he becomes aware that he's in the presence of God. And it's at that point that God reveals God's plans to Moses. God says, I've heard the cries of my people, of my Israelites. They're living in slavery and I'm doing something about it. Moses, I'm choosing you. You are going to be my instrument of change. Sometimes we, re- we hear that story and our response is, okay God, that's, that's all well and good, but why now? God, well, Why did you wait now? Why not like 70, 80 years ago when all of this began? Why did you wait till now? Why did you allow this much hardship, this much pain before you decided to do something about it? What, God, what took you so long? I think a better question might be not what what took God so long, but what took us so long to notice what God was doing? How many people walked past that tree that I saw and didn't even notice, that didn't even bother to stop? How many people before Moses walked past the burning bush and didn't bother to stop and notice? You see, when we we open the Bible, what we think we're reading is stories of where God revealed God's self to us. But really, what we're reading are stories where God revealed God's self to us and we noticed and we paid attention, and we bothered to respond, and we bothered to write it down. I wonder how many stories are not included here because nobody was paying attention to what God was doing. How often do we walk right past the need, and we don't even know it? When we look at the pain in the world, what do we say? God, what are you doing? God said, hey, I'm doing something. Pay attention. And I'm waiting for you to notice. I'm waiting for you to join in. I'm waiting for you to help out. Why don't you think for a moment about about the birth of Jesus. The most powerful, life-altering thing that God had done since the beginning of creation. Sending his son to live among us. The divine word. The one who was with God in the beginning. The one through whom all things were made. Jesus, Emmanuel, born with us. And as powerful as this moment was, do you know who noticed? Do you you know who was talking about it? Do you know who was rushing to the manger to catch a glimpse of Jesus? Nobody. Nobody noticed because nobody was paying any attention to what God was doing. And I'll even bet the night that Jesus was born in a nearby village, somebody was looking up into the heavens, praying to God, God, what are you going to do about the pain of this world? And God's like, uh, I kind of already have. It's happening right now. Don't you see it? You see, God's doing things all the time, and we miss it because we're not paying attention. This is, this is sort of the problem that, that, that's happening in Matthew's gospel. Everybody was focused on Rome. Everybody was focused on Caesar and the governor and the leaders because that's how God was going to change the world, right? That, that's how God was going to do something about the pain of the world. God was going to use the powerful, the wealthy, the influencers. Those are going to be God's instruments of change, right? But where does God show up? Out in the middle of nowhere in a no-name town called Bethlehem to a no-name family of a carpenter. And the only people that bothered to notice were a few shepherds and a few wise men i wonder what sort of no-name town and no-name family is god preparing right now to change our world and we don't even know it so what is god up to today as we follow the movement of god god's going to open our eyes to to the the needs of the world but that's not all he does you see, as we, as we center ourselves in God, God starts to give us a clue about what God's up to. And then God prepares our hearts to meet the needs that we're going to encounter. That's why those 15 minutes in the morning are so important. Whether you're a morning person or a night person, begin your day in that conversation. Begin your day by centering yourself in God. Like you don't, you don't know what the day is going to bring. You don't know. But guess what? God does. You might want to check in with God first. But that's that's not all he does. He he, he does something else. I want to highlight there verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So it sounds like they're receiving a reward, right? And maybe they are. Maybe they are, manner of speaking. But I think something else is happening here. That phrase, inherit the kingdom. He's not simply saying, hey, come and take your place in heaven. Pack it in. Hey, good job. Good job. You you did great. We got it from here. Take it easy. It's easy street from now on. I don't think that's what he's saying. This is what I think he's saying. Number three, participate in the work of God. I want to be very clear about something. Inheritance is not a reward. Inheritance is a responsibility. When you receive an inheritance, which you are receiving from somebody, they are making a statement. They're taking this thing that they've worked their whole lives to achieve, their whole lives to accrue, and when they give it to you as an inheritance, they're making a statement. They're saying, I'm taking this thing that is so valuable to me, and I'm trusting you with it. I'm trusting that you're not going to spend it frivolously. I'm trusting that you're going to take this and do something good with it. I'm trusting that you're going to take this and increase it. God says, inherit the kingdom. God's saying, come and join in on the work of the kingdom that's been going on from the very beginning. Inherit the kingdom. Look, if the Christian life really only comes down to us earning a ticket to a heaven somewhere else, then I think we do a disservice to the incarnation, the birth of Jesus. The fact that God sent Jesus into this life to be with us, that should tell us something about how God views this life. Like parents, grandparents, when you, when you go to your kids' shows, their ballets or concerts or games, whatever it is, you're not going just to pick them up and take them home. You're going because you value very much what they're doing And you want to enter into their world on their terms. Out of your love for them. When Jesus came to be among us, this is exactly what he was doing. He came out of his overwhelming love for us, to be with us. To help us out, to to show us a better way to live, to, to give us a clue what God is up to. There's one more thing that I want to point out about that verse. That phrase, inherit The kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The sheep, they're participating in the active kingdom of God. What were they doing? They were selflessly serving others. They were welcoming, clothing, feeding, loving those that seemed to be far from God. When Jesus says come and participate, come and inherit, he's saying something very important about what God is up to. It's the same thing God has been up to from the very beginning. As a matter of fact, the whole of creation came from this. It came from an act of selfless service. That's what he's up to. That's what he's pointing us to. From the foundation of the world, our very world itself at its core is an act of service. And when the love of God overflows inside of us, it spills out in ways that we aren't even aware of. My favorite verse in this passage, verse 37, they, the sheep say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty or naked or a stranger or in prison or in the hospital? When did we see you doing that? Look, they, they didn't know. They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know they were serving Jesus. They weren't trying to earn a reward. They were doing just what seemed natural to them. The Christian life is not about trying to earn a reward. It's about responding by the overwhelming love of God in gratitude by what has already happened that we can't help but serve others. We can't help but love others. It's as natural as breathing. And God's saying it's happening right now. The kingdom of heaven is happening right now. Won't you join in? Won't you participate now? Many kingdoms will come and go, but the kingdom of God is eternal. Now, we've all heard that before, but but do you know why? you know why that is? This, This is what I think. You see, most kingdoms begin by taking something from someone else. The Egyptians, taken by the Babylonians. Taken by the Persians, taken by the Medes, taken by uh, the Seleucids, the Ptolemies, the Romans, time and time again, kingdom after kingdom after kingdom, every one of them beginning by taking from the previous kingdom. And when at the core of what you are building begins with taking from someone else, what you have is always at risk of being taken from you. What about the kingdom of God? You see, unlike any other kingdom, the kingdom of God began with an act of giving. Creation, act of giving. The birth of Jesus, act of giving. The crucifixion, act of giving. Resurrection, act of giving. When at the core of what you're building is based on giving to others, that can never be taken from you. What you're doing is inheriting the kingdom of God. What you're doing is participating in the work of God. What you're doing is helping God with what God has been all about from the beginning of time. So what is God up to today? I want to let that question just hang in the air. I want to let you wrestle with that on your own, and I want to let you answer that on your own. But I have a thought. I have a thought. I want you to think for a moment about if, if you have a Facebook profile or any sort of social media profile, what are the things that populate your newsfeed? As you scroll through your newsfeed, what are the stories that pop up? Who are the people that you follow? Or another way to answer that question, who are the celebrities that if they were to show up right now, you'd be rushing to grab your phone to go take your picture with them? Who, who would they be? This isn't meant for shame. I've, I've got my own uh, celebrity list. When I was a kid, I just I, I would have given anything to, to meet Andy Griffith. And if he walked in the door right now, you better believe I'm grabbing my phone. He's no longer among the living, so that would be quite a thing. <laughs> so Jesus, he doesn't have a Facebook profile. I know we see Jesus' Facebook profile. Spoiler alert, <laughs> it's not really him. Um... <laughs> But imagine he does. Imagine Jesus has a Facebook profile. What do you suppose his newsfeed would be populated with? Who are the people, who are the stories that he would be following? Who are the people that if Jesus had the chance, he'd be rushing to grab his phone to get his picture taken with? Now, we don't know for sure. But I got a few ideas. I have a few ideas. Here's one person I think Jesus would like to get his picture taken with. That's my dear friend Judy Madden. She's been a big influence in my life in in my understanding of what ministry looks like. But what you need to know about Judy Madden is that she has an amazing heart for those that are sick, for those that are in the hospital, for those that are homebound, for those that are grieving. You see, if you follow the movement of God long enough, it's going to take you To those who are sick and those who are grieving. And when it does, you're gonna start to get an answer to that question: what is God up to today? Because you're gonna find a Judy Madden comforting those who are grieving. When you see that, won't you help out? Here's somebody else I think Jesus would like his picture taken with. This is Kathy Colomo. Right now, as we speak, she is in Fort Worth at, at our True Worth worship uh, facility. Every Sunday, you're going to find her there. And you're going to find her bringing the gospel to the homeless, to the impoverished, to those in the margins, to those that so many people have forgotten about. You're going to find her bringing the gospel to these people in meaningful, tangible ways. You're going to find her bringing them the gospel through food, through food, through clothing, through relationships, through value, through conversations that say, you matter to God. You matter to me. God hasn't forgotten about you. You see, when you follow the movement of God long enough, it's going to take you to the homeless, to the impoverished. And when it does, you're going to start to get an answer to that question, what is God up to today? Because you're going to find a Kathy Colomo ministering to their needs, valuing them. And when you see that, won't you help out? Another person I think Jesus would uh, like to get his picture taken with. His name is Charles. None of you know who Charles is, so I want to take a few minutes, and I want to let you hear about Charles' story. Check it out.
1: My name is Charles Fowler and I am a new member to Pathway Church. The members of the church had surrounded me Sunday. Uh, they were all around me. Uh, matter of fact, I disappeared into the cr- crowd up there at the front, you know. I haven't known them for very long, but I, it, to me, it seems like it's their family to me and I'm, I'm glad that they are. Um, I started out, uh, coming out of the federal prison system. In prison, when I first got there, um, I had a lot of different mixed emotions of just what was I going to do? I knew that I'd put myself into a very bad, very bad place. And just something just told me the only way out of it was to to start to get back to God, to go back into his word. And people started to notice um, that I'm reading reading the Bible. I'm actually putting my time, my free time towards this. And so it came from one extra person to come to study with me to three extra. And then four to five, when I was leaving the prison system, I felt that that door was going to be closing behind me and a lot of my purpose that I had as a teacher of the Word was just going to be a closed door and that I was going to end up having to find some way, other way of, you know, passing my time and also serving God. And I was in the true worth place where Pathway comes to And I noticed on the board, you know, the men's Bible study, and I just decided to say, you know, hey, give it a try. I liked it. I loved it. So I came back next week, and then the week after that, and then, well, then I started to find out the person leading the Bible study was having surgery done on both of his knees. Kathy Colomo was telling me, well, I don't know if we have uh, anybody to cover that. And I said, well, I'll do it eventually when he came back he just he didn't want he didn't want me to give it up he didn't want to take it back so i said look you know if you (laughs) i'll keep doing it they have this this hunger this appetite for for god's word and i'm and i'm like okay well if you want to if you want to eat here's the food here's 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 the water here's here's what will keep you and sustain you and keep you alive some of them that had didn't know God found him and it was joy that they had and I was I was I was glad to be a part of what brought me out of that depression I was able to see them do this very same thing the biggest struggle that I see them out the people out there struggling with is the drugs the alcohol the fornications that, that goes on it's rampant full of sin out there they need to know that they are loved that they are cared about they're not abandoned God loves them and the only way that they're really going to know that God loves them is if God's church is stepping forward and letting them know that he loves them I think it's planting a seed you just keep planning. it'll grow, it'll grow. You just got to keep planning. I am homeless just like everybody else out there at True Worth, but those are my family members and I'll never give up on them and I'll never stop loving them. I, I encourage that all all members of Pathway get involved, not with just their community, but the community there at Fort Worth True and True Worth. What is God up to today?
0: God is moving in the hearts of God's people to yearn for the things that God yearns for, to hurt, for the things that God hurts for, to hope for the things that God hopes for. You want to participate. You want to inherit the kingdom. I want to give you just a couple of quick things that you can do, ways to respond. And the first one is this. If If you've been a part of this faith community long enough, you know about birthday gift of Jesus. And if you don't know what that is, it's an offering that we take up on Christmas Eve. And every penny of it goes outside of these walls to help and be the hands and feet of Jesus throughout the world to help create these stories of impact like what you just saw with Charles and what's happening up at True Worth. So maybe this year, maybe you consider, hey, I want to be a part of this birthday gift of Jesus. Or maybe, maybe you, you say, I wanna I wanna I want to learn more about what's happening up at True Worth. Maybe I want to go up there at one o'clock on Christmas Eve. And, and be a part of Christmas Eve service there just to experience relationships with, uh, with everybody that I can or maybe you just you walk out those doors and you see those toy shelves and maybe you stop by and you ask them questions hey what's, what's going on over there what, what is CASA doing with these orphans and maybe you consider going to buy a, a present or two for these orphans for Christmas the last thing I, I want to give you is this and this is real simple something easy for you to do Easy to remember. Create the space for grace. Every day. Every morning when you begin your time in the Word, write, write that down. Create the space for grace. And then you challenge yourself that day, at least one time that day, to give grace. Whenever somebody cuts you off on the highway and, and, and you want to get angry, create the space for grace where you start to imagine that the person that cuts you off, they're, they're dealing with uh, a lot of grief, a lot of pain. Maybe they just got a phone call that, that just completely rocked the world. What, whatever it is, just consider the possibility that what they're dealing with is far more traumatic than what you're dealing with in that moment. And instead of honking your horn, maybe you pray for them. Or maybe, maybe if, if you've got a neighbor who's got a lot of trees... And, and all of their leaves have fallen into your yard. Rather than getting, and I know this happens because I'm the neighbor with the trees. and My neighbor's the one with all of my leaves. <laughs> instead of getting frustrated with the neighbor and, and really talking about them under your breath whenever you walk past them, instead of doing that, just consider for a moment the possibility that what they're dealing with is horrific. You don't know what's happening behind those doors. But whatever it is, it's, it's far more traumatic than the leaves that are currently sitting in your yard. And when that happens, create the space for grace. And you go out and you rake up the leaves for them. And you don't even tell them. You don't tell anybody. You just do it because it's the right thing to do. Whatever it is, if you want to celebrate the birth of Jesus right this year, if you want to get Christmas right this year, if you want to know what is God up to today, follow the movement of God. Look for the need. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, inherit the kingdom of God. Participate in the work of God now. Amen. Have a good day, guys.